And I know that it's not usual for us to come together on a Saturday, but I'm kind of thankful for that because we understand that Good Friday had to take place. He had to die. And we know that on Sunday He rose again, but there had to be a Saturday in between as well. And something took place that was powerful, that without that Saturday, there wouldn't be a Sunday to celebrate. You know, I've been doing a series in Collin County, but don't worry, Dallas County, I'll summarize some of the things I've done. I don't want you to miss out. But I've been doing a series on conversion. And I think that's an important topic because today in the religious American Christianity, there are so many, quote, options of how one can become a Christian, of how someone receives salvation. And I believe the Scriptures are very clear that the saving moment, the conversion moment, is in one moment and growing after that is the maturing process. But so often in religious establishment, they believe that conversion is a lifelong thing, and it's not. Because the Bible attributes conversion to birth. And I know if there's any mothers in here, you would not want to be birthing for years. You'd want to give birth, and it's done, and now let them grow up, right? It's no different when it comes to conversion. Birthing is a moment. Growing maturing is a much longer process in our lives. Now, within this discussion, there's an amazing passage, which I'll read here in a minute, in 1 John chapter 5, that talks about three things that testify. Now, to give you a little bit of a background, I want to make sure I start my timer. A little bit of the background is that there was some false teaching, even in the first century, to do with Jesus. There were some that believed that Jesus, the Son of God, actually only came into the human of Jesus at baptism. Only in the water. And then at the blood of the cross, He left. And so the birth up into baptism and the death after the cross was just another human being. John addresses this directly in the following passage. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. Who here has been born of God? Say it confidently. Who here has been born of God? Do you realize that you are a conqueror of the world? And yet it's so funny how as Christians we don't often feel that way. I think that's interesting. This is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, He is the one who came by water and blood. Not by water only. How does someone come by water and blood? Birth. Anyone who's given birth? And any husband who had the privilege of seeing the birth know that blood and water is involved in that. So John was saying, no, he did not just come at the water when he was baptized as an adult. He came in the flesh when he was born to Mary. That's what he's saying. It says, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. And remember, how did Jesus even get born? The Spirit produced it in Mary. Water, blood, and Spirit, 
all in the same moment. It says, And the Spirit is the one that testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater. There's a lot of testimony out there how to be a Christian. Who cares? Because God's testimony is greater. And God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that He has given us about His Son. Now, in the earlier lessons, and you can go online and get them in more detail, I talked about the Spirit, I talked about the water. And now I will conclude appropriately on the day that He is buried, before He is risen, the blood. It is very important to understand that these three not only testify that Jesus is the Son of God, but they also believe that these same three elements are necessary to testify when you are in Christ and Christ is in you. It doesn't come from a prayer, Lord, come into my heart. Because where's the three that testify in that? And we're going to see that very clearly as the water and the Spirit is also very clear, and I'll summarize it briefly, but the blood is the most important. Because without the blood, we wouldn't be empowered by the Spirit. Without the blood, the water would just be wet. And so we need to really understand how these three testify. So let's talk about the Spirit and the water briefly for those who didn't hear the other lessons. In John 3, verse 5 through 6, when Nicodemus, a Pharisee who knows many scriptures about redemption and salvation, he comes to Jesus at night, most likely so that his fellow Pharisees didn't see him in the dark, and he asks a question, and Jesus actually answers the question he never asked, because Jesus knows what's really in our heart and our minds. He says, I truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit. Now, tell me, if this was really how someone should become a Christian, that all you have to do is pray, then shouldn't Jesus have said that right then? Shouldn't he go, oh, Nicodemus, you want to know how to get into the kingdom? You just have to say this little prayer. Lord God, please come into my... Jesus never said that. You'll never see him say that. Where did that garbage come from? Now, I'm not saying that to mock those who believe that, because I believed it and I prayed it, I can't even remember how many times. But it didn't save me. There was no conversion. There may have been belief in a God and belief that Jesus is important, but was there a true change of life? A conversion means there's a before and an after, and they better look different. Or it's not conversion. It says, unless someone is born of water... And the Spirit. And means together. Doesn't say water or the Spirit. Yeah, you get baptized here, later on you get the Spirit here. You know, as long as you get both of those at some point, that's not what it's saying. Saying water and Spirit. And it does say, be born. You're not born partially here and then three years later born the rest of you. Doesn't happen that way. It would be very weird and very awkward. It says... Unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. No matter what Christianity tells you, if you just say this prayer, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that's Jesus speaking, not me. That's pretty clear. I don't know how you misinterpret that. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
So even though it doesn't necessarily tell us that moment, it describes all the elements. We're going to need water. We're going to need spirit. So where's the blood? Hmm. But we do understand something that flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. So unless something happens to the flesh, we can't have that spirit. But we know water must be involved in that transition from the flesh to the spirit. That's all we know from this passage. And see, then later on, as Jesus eventually rose again, which we celebrate tomorrow, amen? Amen. He then told His disciples, go into all the world, make disciples. We see in Acts when the Spirit came down on them, and they began to speak in tongues, actual languages, not gibberish, because it said that those from other nations heard their own native tongue. So unless you can find a country that speaks gibberish, that's not what it's talking about. Because I wish it did exist, it would have made going to Russia a lot easier. (laughs) But that's not how it worked. But then as they heard the message in their own language from Galileans who shouldn't know their language about Jesus, about who He is, about what He did and how they were responsible for His death because of their sins, they go, Peter, what shall we do? Not, what shall we believe? You just have to believe in Jesus. Jesus said, no, that's not what it... No, what shall we do? Because faith to God is not just conscious thought. It's not just knowledge of. It is knowledge of moving in the heart to do something different. That's biblical faith. And what did Peter, who was given the keys of the kingdom, unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter? Who is given the keys? Peter. So he's the one about to open the door. Who do you want to listen to? Someone who came up with some salvation plan only a few hundred years ago, or the guy that was there in the beginning that Jesus gave the keys to? I'm going with that guy, Peter. And he's asked, what shall we do? And Peter is the one who stands up. He's about to open the door. Let's see what he says. Peter replied, shouldn't be a surprise, the very first word of the gospel... After Jesus' baptism, after his time in the desert, when he started his preaching ministry, the first word that Jesus said was not, believe. It was repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Shouldn't be a surprise that when Peter's opening the door to the kingdom of God, that he also begins with, repent. And be. Do something. Not just believe something. Be baptized. Each of you. That means everyone, right? So why is there so many different Christian faiths that all have different ways of supposedly being saved if each one of us is supposed to do this? Something's wrong. It says each one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for. In other words, why you're doing this is because you believe what was spoken. You killed Jesus. That's what was spoken. What do I do? I killed the Son of God with my sin. What do I do? Repent. Be baptized for the very thing that would condemn you, your sin. The forgiveness of your sin. When does that take place? The same moment. Something happens to our flesh 
in obedience and in faith and repenting and following Jesus, by obeying Him and getting in the water, something happens at that moment from our flesh that forgiveness of sin takes place. And then we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. For it says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a lot like what Blaise said. Our wage is death for our sin. But eternal life in the Holy Spirit, that's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't be good enough or bad enough. But you've got to repent. You've got to be baptized. So we see very clearly, guys, that this moment where flesh is no longer and now there's a new life, there's water and there's spirit. But where is the blood? We find it indirectly with the phrase, for the forgiveness of sins. Look at this passage in Romans 3. But now apart from the law, verse 21, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith. For those who think baptism is a work, baptism is still faith, it's just obedient faith. It's doing faith, but it's still faith. If I go baptize someone who does not believe, it doesn't do anything. It's wet. There's faith involved, but there is doing as well. It says, The righteous God is through faith in Jesus Christ and all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who has? All. Why don't we just all say it? Me. That means you say it too, not just me only. Okay? <laughs> me. I sinned. Right? We've all done it. It says, They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him, that's Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice in His blood, received through faith. We are redeemed in His blood, but how? Through faith. Were you there 2,000 plus years ago and touched the blood of Jesus physically? No, but in faith, by obeying, somewhere in that conversion moment, which we already know water and spirit must also be involved, we come in contact through faith, the blood of Jesus. This is powerful. To demonstrate the righteousness, because in its restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate the righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Only through the blood of Jesus received through faith can we be forgiven of our sins. So how do we receive this redemptive blood? Or even a more simpler question is, why blood? Why is blood so important? I found this interesting little video about blood, and I think it was very fascinating. Let's show that. If you don't like the sight of blood, you may just want to close your eyes. It's not super bad. I'm just teasing. (laughs) Human blood has no substitute. It cannot be manufactured. Without it, human life cannot exist. Some quiver at the thought of it. 
Others faint at the sight of it. But 2,000 years ago, the Son of God offered all of His, all for you. Blood for blood, life for life. His for yours. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, that's really amazing that blood, despite all the incredible technology we have today, man cannot create it. Otherwise, we wouldn't need blood banks. We wouldn't need you sacrificing your blood to give life to someone who's losing it. Blood. It is life itself. In Hebrews 9, a very interesting passage, verse 19, says, For when every command has been proclaimed by Moses to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats, along with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and he sprinkled the scroll itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the articles of worship with blood. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Think about that for a minute. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There would be no Sunday tomorrow to celebrate if Jesus' blood was not shed for you and I. Why? Why blood? You know, I think the mention of the blood, the water, the scarlet wool, and the hyssop is no coincidence. Because the author, whoever he may be that wrote Hebrews, we know God is the ultimate author, but whoever the author is, there's a lot of speculation. Some say Apollos, Barnabas, Paul. It doesn't really matter. God wrote it to whomever he chose. They understood that God has been thinking of this moment where water, blood, and spirit in conjunction with each other through faith in Him and His promise and His power, our lives could be turned to a redemptive state, to a place that He originally intended for us. And we find a really interesting Old Testament passage. And for those who are part of our Digging Deeper class with Ed Doss on Saturdays once a month, he's been doing this type, anti-type. And a type means that something in the Old Testament, that's the type, is foreshadowing something in the New Testament, which is the anti-type. In most cases, Jesus. But believe it or not, there is a type, a story in the Old Testament, that is an anti-type for the New Testament conversion moment. And it's an amazing passage, believe it or not, in a book we like to skip over whenever you're reading the whole Bible, Leviticus. <laughs> Next to Numbers, those two. Though You try to skip those as quick as possible, right? Because you're like, what is this all about? Turn with me to Leviticus 14, and you're going to be blown away at the, the fact that God already had in His mind this moment when water, blood, and spirit 
would change your life forever. In verse 1 of chapter 14, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses. This is the law concerning the person afflicted with a skin disease on the day of his cleansing. And often a sinner, metaphorically, is referred to as a leper. In the Bible, we see that. He is to be brought to the priest, because we've got to be brought to Jesus. He's the only high priest we have. Who will go outside the camp and examine him. Jesus doesn't let us come to him. He goes outside and comes to us. That's amazing. If the skin disease has disappeared from the afflicted person, the priest will order that two live, clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop, be brought for the one who is to be cleansed. Isn't that interesting? Very similar elements, right? Then the priest will order that one of the birds be slaughtered over fresh water in a clay pot. So what happens to one of the birds? An innocent bird. Killed, slaughtered, pierced, slashed, stripes over the water so that the blood would come to the water. Now what about the other bird? He has to take the living bird together with the cedar wood because we got to take up our cross as well as Jesus. Scarlet yarn and hyssop and dip them, immerse them into all the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh water. He will then sprinkle the blood seven times on the one who is to be cleansed from the skin disease. He is to pronounce him clean and release the live bird over the open countryside. The one who is to be cleansed must wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and bathe with water. He is clean. Afterward, he may enter the camp, but must remain outside his tent for seven days. See, at first glance, you might not catch the incredible foreshadowing of baptism. Type, anti-type. And ultimately, what empowers baptism as God's way to remove sin, to remove leprosy, spiritual leprosy from our lives. Let's look quickly at another verse that will help us paint the whole picture. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, we don't understand this, but in Greek, there are certain phrases, certain prepositions used in any question. And based off which preposition you use, you can know automatically whether that question should be answered yes or no. In English, we don't have that. So based on those prepositions, you can know... What, what is this question? Is it just put out there with no expected answer? Or is it expected to no or expected a yes? Uh, what do you think it is here? No. It's very clear. The answer is the, no. You don't go on sinning. By no means. It just had to have that to emphasize in case you didn't get the Greek. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, I'm not naive enough to know that those of us who even claim to be disciples of Jesus, even in this room right now, may be continuing in their sin. You've got to answer this question for you. 
how can you continue it any longer? When you know what Jesus has done, you've got to ask yourself, how can I continue in this any longer? And don't justify like, but I haven't continued in that one, or that one, or that one. It's a sin you know you're continuing in. How can I continue in it any longer? The answer should be, I can't. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized, what happens at baptism? Water. Into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death. When He died, what happened? There was blood. Lots of it. So if we're baptized by faith in that water, much like that bird that was slaughtered and the blood went into the water, now that we're in the water through faith, because only through faith in the blood of Jesus, something happens. We die with Him. We're buried with Him. That's what we celebrate today is the burial of Jesus. Just as important as the resurrection of Jesus. Because without the buried, there's no raised again. Amen? Amen. But we can look forward to that tomorrow. That we can be risen. It says, we were therefore buried with Him through baptism. How were you buried? Oh, if I just say this prayer. No! It says the only way to be buried is through baptism. So if the only way for you to come in contact with the blood, and only through blood can sin be forgiven, and only through faith in the blood of Jesus, then you can't be saved by a prayer. Amen. It's got to be through baptism as a disciple of Jesus. Amen. Through baptism into death and order that. Why do we do this? Obedience, but also for what He says will come from doing it. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Amen. And we know from other passages that it says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the one that's in you. Water, blood, Spirit, all at the same time. This is the testimony of God. If we have been united with Him like this in our death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified. Do you know that? Is it? With Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, not played with. Done away with, not played with. That we no longer be slaves. Guys, it's about freedom. We think that giving into these certain sins, especially the pleasurable ones, somehow you're free. You're enslaved. You're way more free when you give it up. I know it can be pleasurable. Temporarily. And then there's no eternity. Or you can give it up now and have eternity. That's pretty amazing. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Baptism is the point when we die to sin and are united in Christ in His death. Burial, 
and resurrection. The passion of the cross is a specific moment that God enabled for mankind to be saved. By the spilling of His Son's blood, He gave us the opportunity, and now through baptism is the specific moment we can receive that salvation. So let's go back to Leviticus. Baptism involves more than one person. Just as there were two birds required in the cleaning process. Now let's see the picture unfold. The captured clean bird represents Jesus. He was innocent and yet is used as the sacrifice. His blood spilled in the water. But now look at the second bird. It's dipped. It's immersed. It's baptized along with cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop into the water. Maybe these commentary might help us understand why those things. What's what's significant about those elements? Since the living bird with a little scarlet wool and a bunch of hyssop must be fastened to a cedar stick, dipped in the water and the blood, which must be so sprinkled on him who is to be cleansed. The cedar wood signified the restoring of the leper to his strength and soundness, for that is the sort of wood not apt to rot. The scarlet wool signified his recovering a healthy color again, for the leprosy made him white as snow. And the hyssop helped him in the removing of the disagreeable scent which commonly attended the leprosy. Once the second bird is dipped, what happens to it next? It's free. The wood's taken, the yarn's taken, the hyssop's taken. It's been dipped, it's been changed but now it's free. What an incredible foreshadowing of what conversion is. But the key element is not the spirit, it's not the water, it's the blood. Without the blood, we can't have that spirit. Without the blood, the water is just wet. But it's faith in the blood of Jesus. But I do believe this introduction of hyssop is very important. Because it also is found in other incredible accounts of redemption. The first time we see hyssop is in the actual Passover, which is what Easter is in coincidence with, right? It's Jesus was during the Passover, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Look at this passage just for sake of summarizing quickly. Where does this hyssop play a part? Verse 21 of Exodus 12. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select an animal from the flock, according to your families, and slaughter, just like the bird, just like our Lord, the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Dip the blood in the basin? What's in the basin? Water. Hmm. And brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood of the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer at your house to strike you. The blood, the water, painted over. Because hyssop is like a plant that the flowering, if you put it together, it's like a, it's like a paintbrush. It's got a scent to it as well. It's a lot of healing properties. In fact, as I was looking up the healing properties of hyssop, most of it had to do with blood. <laughs> Giving you better blood, 
helping your blood, not to coagulate correctly or if it's too thin to strengthen it. It's like, wow, this is crazy. Of all things, hyssop. Where else do we find hyssop? The passion itself. John 19, verse 28. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, type Passover, anatype Jesus on the cross. You were spared by the blood as the, as the Spirit came over the land, now with Jesus and His blood. I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The sacrifice of the lamb at Passover, the first bird of the cleansing of a leper, Jesus Christ, and the passion, the blood, is the only thing that can save us. Ephesians 1.7, as I close out, In Him we have redemption through a prayer. No. Through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. And where did the guy with the keys say forgiveness takes place? With the water and the Spirit. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Faith in the blood is how we're redeemed. It must be at the same moment according to the riches of His grace. It's not because of man-made salvation plans. It's because of the way God decided for it to be. And He thought of it thousands of years before, even with a cleansing ritual of a leper. It has always been in God's mind. It shouldn't surprise us. Even in the very first sin of Adam and Eve, how did He cover them? It wasn't Cain who was the first one to take a life. It was God. Because He gave them skins of animals. It means He had to kill His own creation to cover their sin. Blood has always been involved. Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And Hebrews 10 verse 19 Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through His flesh, no longer the curtain of a temple. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since He who promised is faithful. Tomorrow morning, brothers and sisters, when you wake up and you're with your family or your friends or those you may be staying with, take time to rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ. Don't just go, oh, I had service last night. No, celebrate Easter. If you need some inspiration, look up the History Channel. There's a series, eight eight videos on the life of Jesus through the perspective of different people who had followed Him or who were against Him. It's amazing. Take a look at them. 
The three testify. Not only that Jesus is the Son of God, but I believe they also testify when we are in Christ and when Christ is in us. I close with Romans 6 verse 4 to remind us this moment of conversion, you're going to find the Spirit, the water, and the blood. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death where we come through faith to His blood in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of our Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. It all happens in conversion, at baptism, when we share in the death and burial. And we're going to get to see that here in just a moment. But I'll close with the great hymn. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus.